I think that we need one day a week that you're just breaking. Mm-hmm. You're literally just taking a break from everything. You, if, if you don't have a day in the week that if you want to take a nap, you have the space to take a nap, you're too busy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That Maybe that's the way to say it. I like it. framing up it around naps. I'm you know? Like that she needs to you hear know? you say that. This study references the book Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity by Mike Hilson. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon. Well, hey, y'all, welcome back to our, our journey through the book of Nehemiah. Again, we're kind of running a track through Nehemiah. This will help you in background. Uh, the book is uh, Nehemiah, I Am Taking Authority Over Identity. And um, you can pick that up at Amazon or wherever, wherever you'd like, or let us know and we'll, we'll get a copy to you. Um, so now we've been working through all of, all, all of this book and we, we're, we're coming down to the end of the book. And the last few chapters, we've been dealing with not necessarily how to attain a a proper God-given label or God-given identity. We've been talking about how to sustain a a proper God-given identity. And so our proper God-given identity must constantly be defended. It must constantly be Oh, how do I say this? It must constantly be renewed. We must constantly be refilled with the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of who God has told us we are. Let me say it this way just before we jump in. Let me just say it this way. One of the things that is true about eating is I must eat. After I eat, I feel filled. I feel fulfilled. I feel good. The problem is that's going to go away. I must eventually eat again. Same thing is true of drinking water. I can drink water and now I feel hydrated. I feel good. But there will come a point where I need water again. In the same way, we must constantly be filling ourselves. We cannot simply empty ourselves of what is bad and not take the next step forward. If we do that, we're going to fail. There must be a filling of, a consistent, ongoing filling of who we are in a in a manner that 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 lives within that that resides in the identity that God has given us some of this will be based in where we need to go from here some of this will be based in in what where we've come from some of this will be based in what we need to do exactly at this moment i want to show you some of this in in two chapters we're going to deal with chapters 11 and 12 today but we're not going to read most of it uh, because most of it is genealogical. It's going to give you names of people and all kinds of old-fashioned names that nobody ever names their kids anymore. And so, and so we're going to get a lot of that going on. But, but I want you to see, I want to show you something in here. I, 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 think, I think you'll find this interesting. Chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says this, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one bring to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in Jerusalem. Remember that they had not yet rebuilt the houses and so they're now relocating people into the city because people have left the city because the city was no longer safe. Now the city is safe again because of the wall. It's secure. It's run well. Nehemiah has put together a good government. It's well put together. It's a place people want to be. So they're now casting lots. They're now 
I guess the best way I could say it is they're throwing their names in a hat and they're drawing the name and one out of every 10 of them is going to literally go live in town while the others are going to remain out in the countryside where their houses have been for generations now. So they cast lots to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Those who are going into Jerusalem are going in to establish, watch, they're going in to establish a new reality. Here's what I need you to understand. Making decisions from here forward in your life, making choices from here forward in your life, building everything around you from here forward in your life must be intentionally new. There's an intentionality about this. They are intentionally establishing a new population inside of Jerusalem. Now, that new population, watch, let me show you the second point. If you read with verse 3, you get, these are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now, some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah uh, and each on their own property in the various towns, while other people from both, listen to this, Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. Now, here, here's, here's one of those things that you, you won't pick up unless you really just dive in. You really just dive in. Jerusalem sits, was the capital of what was the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Now, the nation of Israel is established. Literally, the people of Israel are literally the people of Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel. Jacob's 12 sons became the fathers of 12 tribes, and you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. When, when the nation splits after Solomon, his two sons split the nation, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Israel contains the 10 of the 12 tribes. It is a much larger nation. Judah contains only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. These are the only two tribes that are there. So what you just learned is they are being intentionally new about the city because they're reestablishing the city with new houses and new people. But their newness is still based in their history. And it's not just intentionally new. It's intentionally family oriented. It's intentionally family focused. They are careful to say we are who we are and the people in Jerusalem should be the people of Judah. That is the nation of Judah. And they come from two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. That doesn't mean anybody else can't live here. It means that that's going to be the predominance of the city. Why? Because in doing that in an ancient culture, hear me, in an ancient culture, I'm not arguing anything in modern terms. Stay with me. But in an ancient culture, what that would do is it would guarantee the worship practices, the the the, the religious beliefs, all of the the cultural norms of a Jewish Judean mindset. And so that's what they want to do inside Jerusalem because they want Jerusalem to be Judean. They want Jerusalem to be Jewish. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you in a modern sense. The 10 tribes that were scattered, uh, you, you find a very hard time tracing them after they're scattered. These two tribes that come back to Jerusalem, you can continue to trace them. So Jewish in our mindset could come from any of the 10 tribes, but predominantly the ones you can trace are the ones that are, that are, that are in Jerusalem. And so really what happens is 
the center point of the Jewish people is truly Jerusalem, is truly that temple. And, and, and worshiping here now needs to be made new, but it's made new. It's intentionally new, but it's also intentionally family and historically oriented. Now, you get a few verses down to verse 9 about the, the, the descendants of Judah and the descendants of Benjamin. Then in verse 10, you read these words from the priests, a few, and then a few verses later, you read the words from the Levites. You get a lot of scripture, chapter, chapter 11, verses 10 through 18, so eight verses, and then chapter 12, verses 1 through 26, all of those verses are dealing with the temple workers, the priests, the Levites, the people that are running the worship of the, of the city. Are, they get all of those verses as you list all of them. So watch, we are going to be intentionally new, intentionally family-oriented, and we're going to be intentionally God-focused. You know what's in the center of Jerusalem? In the center of Jerusalem is the temple. God's temple, the temple of God in Israel, and the worship of God is central to the entire city, frankly, to the entire nation. If I were to, if I were to tell you why the northern kingdom fell sooner than the southern kingdom and, and seems to disappear almost, the answer is because the northern kingdom, because their capital was not in Jerusalem, they tended to worship other gods because, look, the last thing you want to do if you're the king in the northern kingdom is tell all your people, hey, you got to go to our rival's kingdom down there in the south to worship God. You don't want to do that. It gives too much power to the king in Judah. And so what you really want to do is you want to get them to worship somehow here in, in your hometown. And so, so, so they're trying to bring people there, and they, they neglect God's word really to a much greater degree than the kingdom of Judah does. Over the years where there are kings from past Solomon till the end of the nations, you don't get very many good kings. But let me tell you, almost all the good kings are in Jerusalem. There are very few that are in, in the northern kingdom, and that's because they're running away from the center of Jewish life, which is the temple, because it's in Jerusalem. But here, Nehemiah is reestablishing that in Jerusalem, and he wants to make sure that it is intentionally God-focused. Listen, when you recenter your new life, when you decide this is my new rea- this is my new reality, this is the label God has given me, this is my new normal, it needs to be intentionally intentionally new, intentionally about family. Don't forget your family. Don't abandon your past. Don't abandon the people around you. And then it needs to be intentionally God-centered, God-focused. There's another group in chapter 11, verses 19 to 36, you get this whole list of gatekeepers. I want you to hear me. It must be intentionally new, intentionally family-focused, intentionally God-centered, God-focused. But listen to me. It must be intentionally safe. Every single one of us needs gatekeepers. People who are in our lives or practices that are in our lives that guard the open spots in our lives. Everybody needs gatekeepers. And by this, it may be a practice. It may be that when I get up, I follow this pattern. And then I, it, it, may be, it may be a pattern. It might be a pattern in your life that you follow that keeps you safe. If you begin to realize, I do things that are bad when I'm in that setting, you might put a pattern in your life to stay away from that setting. And so if that's what you do, that's a practice. That's a gatekeeping practice you put in your life. 
But you also need people that are gatekeepers, people that can walk up to you and just say, hey, this doesn't look right. This doesn't seem right. What are you doing? Why is this messed up? You need gatekeepers. We all need gatekeepers in our lives. And when we lack gatekeepers, then the doors for the enemy to get into our lives are left wide open and they come flooding back in and we, we find ourselves in trouble again. You must have gatekeepers because you must be kept intentionally safe. Chapter 12, verse 27. And listen, the next chapter is really going to dig into this. But at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. In other words, they got the band back together. And they began to really worship God. It must be intentionally worshipful. Look, in the end, everything we do is to the glory of God anyway. In the end, everything we do needs to point back to Him. And if it doesn't, then we've got a problem. Now you say, Pastor Mike, why, why all this intentionality? Intentionally new, intentionally family-oriented, intentionally God-focused, intentionally safe, intentionally worshipful. Because when you clean out a space, it does not stay empty, ever, ever. I mean, look, we at the church have thousands of feet under square, uh, square feet under roof, right? I can clean out a closet and say, that's clean, that's empty. I promise you, within three weeks, it will have junk piled in it again. And if I don't guard it, it'll end up with more junk than it had the first time in it the second time because everybody will go, oh, there's a clean space. I'm going to put all my junk there, and you got to guard that. You say, why, what, why are you even making this point? Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, and he says these words. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, when you drive out a spirit that is wrong, when you drive out a way that is wrong, when you finally confess and drive out your sin, it goes through places, it goes through, through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Why? Because that's what God does. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Spiritually speaking, when you clean out the house, you must refill the house with everything God gives you. If you don't, then the enemy's going to come back and they're going to come back they're going to come back in greater numbers. Let's make this more physical with, with the nation, with Jerusalem. If they didn't bring back Jewish people to live in Jerusalem, and but they rebuilt the city and there's new houses and there's new streets and there's new everything's great, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are all bringing all their stuff and they're just going to move in and make it their city. Same thing happens in your life spiritually. You can't just empty out your life of all the things that are wrong but not refill it with something. It's got to be refilled with something that is going to keep you centered on who God wants you to be. And in order to do that, it's got to be intentionally new. It can't be like the old. The old didn't work for you. You got to come back with something new. Family centered? Well, your family's the one that's going to keep you centered on where you ought to be anyway. 
God-focused, 100%. You've got to be God-focused, intentionally spiritual, intentionally safe. Have the gatekeepers, put gatekeepers in place and keep them there. And then it's, look, when all the rest is in order, worship will be natural because it's God that delivered you, cleaned up the house, and now filled you with his presence, his power, and his spirit. So the word of the day is intentionally. Right. (laughs) We said that maybe once or twice. (laughs) And I think the principle there is probably that nothing happens by accident. But I wanted to ask, what does it look like to be intentional? Do you make a plan? Do you have a planner? Do you have something, an app on your phone? How are you reminding yourself of all the things that you need to do intentionally in order to live in your new I am? Well, yes and no to all those things. It, it depends on your rhythm. I love a book written by uh, written by Gwen Jackson uh, some years ago, and it's called it's called Unforced Rhythms. Mm. And in the book, what Gwen says is that there is this sense, there's this belief, there's this there really is a belief inside of Christianity that uh, that there's a certain way you have to do devotions and you have to schedule. Everybody wants you to do devotions like first thing in the morning mm. and have them the exact same time every day. And, do, and that works for a lot of people. Uh, but there are some people that that's not the way their li- the rhythm of their life works. Mm-hmm. So what you've got to find individually, in, and, and this is the reason the word is you intentionally, mm-hmm. you've got to intentionally find the rhythm that works for you. You, you've got to intentionally find that. If you don't do that, then you're going to fail at what you're trying to do. If you, if you don't find your own rhythm, you're going to fail at it. It's, you and I have talked about this before. Um, there are myriad diet schemes out there, right? Oh, yeah. And, um, and so a lot of people who are, who are working out, they say, well, what you need to do is eat six meals a day, six small meals a day, and you have macros and micros and better, 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 better proteins and all, you know. <laughs> all the things. All the things. And, and, and here's the problem. Mm. They're right. But that's not how the rhythm of my life works. Right. So I can't do that. I mean, could I? Sure. Let me be honest. Yes, I could 100% do that for about six months, mm-hmm. and that's going to stop because that's not how I work. That's not how the rhythm of my personality works. Not sustainable. Not sustainable. Long-term. So what's my rhythm? Well, I found that uh, the uh, the simple application of, of um, intermittent fasting and then don't be stupid during your eight-hour eating window, <laughs> okay, that works for me. Yep. You know. And so I found that that works. I had to find a rhythm to work for me. Take this to a spiritual side. In, in the spiritual sense, you've got to find the rhythm that works to you. You've got to be intentional about it. Mm. Very intentional about this diet, right? About doing this diet. It's not, it's, not, it's not super strict. There's not a thousand rules. I don't have to meal prep every day. I don't have to do all that. Uh, but there's an intentionality about it. I'm less worried about the strictness of it than I am about the intentionality of it. Yeah. I heard somebody talking about a rule of life. We actually had put out a resource like this a long time ago at WIAC. And it's it's sort of like just a way of mm-hmm. looking at your life through the lens of Jesus first and walking out in your new I am, the I am that Jesus has for your call. And plotting somewhere in there the things that are going to help you do that. So it sounds like, yeah, you, you don't want it to be so rigid that it's miserable and you can't keep it going. But right. you And you don't want it to replace your whole life. Right. But it has to be it has to become center. It has to be a shift. Well, and what's miserable for me might be life giving to somebody else. Mm. You know, I know an awful lot of people who having that rigid 
I would use the word rigid. They would use the word structured. Mm-hmm. I would use the word rigid where where every morning I'm up at oh three thirty in the morning and I'm going to pray for four hours and at 7.30 I'm going to... Okay, I, there are a lot of people who live that way and it's life-giving for them. That would not be life-giving for me. Yeah, me either. And so, you know, we've got you got to find the rhythm that works for you. But it's got to be intentional. Yeah. Yep, it's so. got to be part of the plan. You talked about how a space never stays empty forever. Right. And I'm hearing you say that, and my brain immediately goes to the Luke passage, and then you said it, so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we're in the same we're in the same place. But that could refer to a lot of different reasons why we we empty our space. It could mm-hmm. be just energy output, right? It could be um, I'm giving of you're giving of yourself a lot, and you don't, you need to replenish. You need to be able to fill yourself back up again. It's not just about putting your house in order. It's also about you know the rhythms of life. And what you end up doing for the Lord and energy output, how does how does that angle change the way you think about that? Well, I, I always want to be careful. Um, you know, um, when you empty out a space, let, let's let's talk. Let me let me try to be a little more practical with this. Let's say that I've been you know I've been working, I've been producing, I've been uh, you know just constantly going at it for a long time. And I'm tired, so I want a vacation. So I take a vacation. Well, the problem is you get on vacation and you have empty space. For a short period of time, that's life-giving, right? Mm -hmm. But if I decide, man, I like this vacation thing. And you know what? I'm just not going back to work. And I decide I'm going to spend the rest of my life eating whenever I want to and sleeping when I'm not eating. And then I'm going to kill myself. Mm. What I'm doing is I am refilling the empty space with something that might feel good at the moment, but it's not actually life producing. That's good. And so and so I think in the same way, I think spiritually, Jesus lays this out very, very clearly mm-hmm. in the sense that if you're talking about evil spirits, if you drop out one, but you don't put Jesus back in the space, that one's going to bring seven more, and it's going to be a mess. Yeah, it's going to be bad. You know, so because, I mean, come on, clean house, in yeah. they move. Yeah, seven mm-hmm. worse than the first. Yes. Which is pretty scary. Yep. Yeah. I really like that picture of, um, you know, getting back to life and what you need to be doing, not just constantly doing the one thing that made you feel good. How does that inform the Sabbath for you? You know, if you're thinking about taking Jesus is clear, the Sabbath is still a thing. Christians practice the Sabbath. Um, it was com- one of the the Ten Commandments. How how does that what you just said inform that for you? Well, I think I think uh, l- let's talk modern rhythms for just a minute. Mm-hmm. Modern modern Western American rhythms. I think that that uh, what we tend to do is. Um, I th- well, there's a lot of different ways that this plays out. I think that we need one day a week that you're just breaking. Mm-hmm. You're literally just taking a break from everything. You, if, if you don't have a day in the week that if you want to take a nap, you have the space to take a nap, you're too busy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That maybe that's the way to say it. I like it. framing up it around naps. I'm you know, <laughs> she needs to you know, hear you say that. There's got to be a day that's just kind of empty. Yeah, you know, I I, I texted uh, Maxine the other day because my calendar has been acting up and has been denying meetings. And I said, I actually texted Maxine and I said, I said, uh, so just forgive the text, but 
I don't see anything on my calendar for this day. Am I actually clear that day or did I just miss one? And her mm-hmm. text back was, no, you actually have a free day, <laughs> which just was so life-giving, you know? Yeah. So you need a day that works like that. And uh, But at the same time, I think sometimes you need to stitch some of those days together. Okay, we can- We call that vacation. Yeah, let's, let's put this into a leadership lesson real quick and talk about mm-hmm. the importance of margin and right. how margins helped you succeed. Yeah, I have to build margin in my life. I I, I work in, um, you know this about me, and everybody around me knows this about me already, so I'm not confessing anything necessarily. <laughs> I work in fits and starts. Yeah. So I'll generate a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of content in a short period of time, and then there'll be this block that hits, mm. and I can't do anything. When that block hits, all I can do is I have to create empty space around me and it's in the empty space that God begins to speak and begins to plant things. It's not like in the empty space, all of a sudden I'm creating again. That's not how that works. Mm. It's, it's God drip by drip by drip refilling the reservoir. Mm. And then when the reservoir hits a certain point, blah, there it all goes. You know? mm-hmm. So I have to build that empty space. I, I've always used the phrase uh, creative boredom. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a space where I'm a little bored, you know, I've got a couple of ponds around here that I'll go fishing in, and it's just, it's it's not complex fishing. It's both the ponds are in places where nobody else is around, and it's just me and the Lord and some water, and 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 I'm just fishing. That's 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 rejuvenative to me, mm-hmm. and it's in those spaces that God begins to say phrases to me that I can then use when I preach later on. That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think of um, that point, intentionally safe and worshipful. Mm-hmm. And those two things you just alluded to a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Intentionally safe, you've got some people who are gatekeepers. You've got, you mentioned Maxine already. You know, <laughs> Tina can be that for you. Yes. Protecting margin, making yes. sure that you're doing what you need to do. And then also worshipful, you know, going to the pond is worship. You don't need worship music to be yeah. worshiping. Yeah. You can worship better with a pole than a, a piano, I bet, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. And, and But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, when it comes to gatekeepers, yes, you mentioned Maxine and you mentioned, mentioned Tina. Uh, you you need those. You need someone at work that's going to make sure that you're you're walking, doing what you got to get done, mm-hmm. but also having margin there. And, you, and your spouse absolutely 100% is a gatekeeper in your life. But you also need some that aren't um, on your on your work team or aren't your spouse you need mm. some people that are completely outside mm. who can say who can say hurtful things mm. um and, and i don't mean by that they're mean-spirited mm-hmm. but everybody everybody has moments where somebody needs to hurt your feelings mm. and if you don't have somebody that has permission to hurt your feelings in a moment when you need when you need your feelings hurt mm-hmm. then uh then you're not growing that muscle yeah you know you you you've got you you've got to be willing to do that yeah, and so all, you've got to have those people we all need somebody to see our blind spots the right? most dangerous person in the world is someone with a great deal of power and no accountability mm. and uh when that happens you end up with uh with murderous people mm-hmm. and uh because they don't see their own faults yeah and so yeah um, maybe you can talk about that more if we do a, a study on esther yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs>